What's up, hybrids? Welcome back to another episode of the Fandom Hybrid Podcast. This is Hanako, and I am here today with Mike, Anthony, and Lori, and we are covering a new show. The show is A Discovery of Witches. It is available on the Sundance channel and also on AMC Premiere. It's based on the All Souls trilogy by Deborah Harkness, and we are currently in season one with season two set to premiere in January of 2021. So the show just off the bat, we know that the show deals with vampires, humans, demons, and witches. We're introduced to the main characters of the show. There is uh, Diana, who is a um, academic doctor, and she is a reluctant witch. We have Matthew, who is a vampire, and there are a couple other vampires that we're introduced to. Um, several other witches, and basically the first episode just kind of sets up I guess a little bit of the conflict within the story. We don't get a lot of background in the first episode. I think it's mostly just kind of world building for us. But the first episode was interesting enough for me to keep me going. I, I, I watched this um, series when it first premiered and I actually binge watched the whole season. It's only eight episodes in the season. I binge watched the whole season, but it's been about a good eight months since I've watched them. So watching this is kind of like watching it for the first time. I am familiar with the books, but I've not read them yet. They are on my very long to read list. So let's start off first. How familiar are you guys with the story or were you guys with the story prior to watching the first episode? I was not familiar at, at all. Like I saw a preview for it, but I never actually looked into it or researched it. I just kind of, you had mentioned it before and then I just kind of like, you know what? Let me watch. I have been putting it off for some time. And I said, you know what? I got some free time. I'm done with the other shows I want to watch. Let me go ahead and just watch it. So, you know, I signed up for the AMC, <laughs> AMC free week and wow. locked it out. Gotcha. Okay. Um, but it, it, and it was okay. Um, it definitely does, you know, get better. Yeah. Yeah. The first episode kind of moved a little bit slow, but yeah. again, they put a little bit more money into it than a typical pilot. So it seems like it was a really a real first episode and not a pilot. So I do appreciate that they they seem to put a lot more effort into the writing and um and the effects so I, I kind of appreciated that yeah i wasn't i wasn't familiar with it at all mostly because i don't have cable i'm like i'm one of, one of the early pioneers of this of cutting the cord i haven't had cable in like a minute so i hadn't heard about it at all so but i am anything anything with witches and vampires i'm usually pretty cool pretty cool with checking out so i mean it seemed like it was okay and it's kind of a bonus for me not to be familiar with the other characters, with many of the people that are starring in it, just so I can expand my horizons and see more people that I haven't been exposed to. So it seemed like it was pretty interesting. I watched the first episode, then I watched the second and third episode. I stopped, I went and got the book, I listened to it uh, on Audible, and then I went back and then binge watched the rest of it. Um, three book series. I've read the first book. I've got the other two and I have some issues with books two and three, 
But as far as book one is concerned, I think that they put a lot more in the TV series than the books actually had. And I was sort of um, let down because the TV series is so good and the books are so slow. I, I, I kind of wanted my money back a little bit. Wow, that's kind of different because usually when it comes to um, book and TV adaptations, it's usually the opposite. Like people are always disappointed with the adaptations because they don't put as much information as the book. And so it's very interesting to hear you say it the other way around. I've been familiar or I had heard about these books um, actually for a couple of years. I found the first book, um, Discovery of Witches, in the Goodwill uh, store and saw the book. It looked interesting, read the blurb on the back. It sounded interesting. Um, so I picked it up. And I, again, like I said, I just haven't had a chance to read it. And then one of my best friends read it about two years ago, two and a half years ago. And she kept telling me, you've got to go. You've got to read this book. You've got to read this book. She said it was really good. And so... Um, again, I planned on picking it up and I just, I just never got around to it just with scheduling, working two jobs and, you know, pretty much everything else that was going on. And then when I found out that the show was coming on, I was like, okay, well, you know, I guess the book is good enough that they made a show from it. Then when I found out about the cast, I was intrigued because I like, um, Teresa Palmer. I like Matthew Good. Alex Kingston is in it. So I was like, Hmm, okay, let me check this out. And like I said, I started watching it um, and actually binge watched the whole season like in one night. I think it was like a, a Saturday. I didn't have anything to do. And I was like, okay, let me check out a couple of episodes and ended up watching the whole thing. So I really enjoyed it. Uh, my first impression was that, um, especially towards the end, there's, there's an interaction between Matthew and Diana, the vampire and the witch, that kind of sort of reminded me a little bit of Edward and Bella from Twilight, which I really didn't want to make that mm. that comparison. But this story um, came out a few years after Twilight. So it's more like a grown-up version. And the interactions between the characters is more grown-up. It's not as awkward. It's not as cheesy. Um, but it does, it does kind of come off like it's going to be a little bit of a darker drama than um, some of the other stuff we've seen. And, um, you know, it, it it's intriguing. Well, you, you see, I took notes again. Um, and I wrote a note. I said, do not compare to Twilight. Oh, <laughs> it, it was it was hard. It, it was really hard because I kept getting even in this first episode, I kept getting Twilight vibes because the only difference is he was the creepy stalker, not her. It was, and, and that was what I was getting from Matthew. I was like, he's just, he was just a creepy stalker the whole episode. It was, it was kind of off-putting. I was like, dude. <laughs> okay, so... <laughs> just tell her what you want from the get-go and be right, done with exactly, it. Exactly, exactly. Like a, a creepy stalker with really good hearing. It's like, like he just hung around the corners listening to everything that she was doing, listening to her breathing. He was listening to her breathing. That's creepy as fuck. And, and like, I would think on. that Bella would have done the same thing if she had those powers. She did that Edward because she was stalking him too. Well, technically speaking, Edward was actually stalking her. We find, we well, find well, out. We know. find out later, but... Yes, but 
Okay, so the only reason why I even made the comparison is because you do have these two characters that are from two different species, two different, uh, you know, groups. And by all intents and purposes, just the little bit that we've learned from this episode is that witches and vampires don't like each other. And um, the, the premise of the first episode is that Diana is a visiting academic to Oxford. She comes there to give a lecture and she's offered um, the potential to, um, to teach there. So she's working on a paper that's due to be published and she needs to do a little more research. So she goes to the Bodleian Library, which is on Oxford's campus, and she calls up some manuscripts to do some research. And other background on Diana, she is an expert in alchemy and that's what her paper is based on. So she goes to get these books, um, the Ashmole manuscripts and a particular one, number 782, when the clerk goes to the shelf to retrieve it, it's not there. So she goes to look for the other books and when she comes back to that shelf, magically Ashmole 782 is there. So she takes it upstairs, she gives it to Diana, and this is the first book that Diana opens when she gets ready to do her research. And when she does, she opens it up and there's some alchemical illustrations that are kind of intriguing to her. And when she turns the page, she notices that there's script written on the page, but it's almost like the script is in invisible ink. So you can only see it when it's reflected uh, with light. So when she does this, the, um, the script on the page begins to move and she puts her hand on the page and the script literally jumps from the page into her skin. And when she tries to, I don't know why she does it, she, she pressed her hand down on one of the illustrations to try to stop it and it burned its shape into her hand. And whatever magical thing was happening with this manuscript all of the other witches and vampires that we've met so far through the, in the show, they feel something happening. Um, one of the vampires uh, says that their blood is, is reacting to whatever magic is going on. Matthew is in a church at this point praying and he starts to feel this happening within him. So he starts being drawn to wherever this magic is coming from. And it just so happens to be Diana. And I think this is kind of what starts the stalking with him. It's not necessarily an interest in her, but as we learn when he goes back to his lab, um, the Ashmole 782 manuscript, he thinks is kind of an origin story for all creatures. So it kind of gives the background on how they came about um, I guess how they are made and, and what they do to keep their, their species going. Um, we find yeah, out- It's called the Book of Life. Yeah, the Book of Life. So there's another vampire, Marcus, who was walking with a friend of his and the friend gets hit, gets hit by a car. And Marcus tries to save the friend and the friend dies. And so what he does is he tries to convert him. He tries to um, make him into a vampire. And Joe- kind of briefly reanimates and then immediately dies again. 
And we find out from Matthew that for some reason, vampires have been having issues with siring other vampires, like they are unable to make other vampires. And they believe that the information in this book will help them to understand what's going on. But Ashmole 782 has been missing for centuries. Like literally there have been other creatures uh, searching for it and it's never appeared to anyone else except for Diana. And as we mentioned earlier, Diana is a reluctant witch. Like she is a witch. She apparently is a very powerful witch or could be a very powerful witch, but she does not practice mostly I believe out of fear because her parents were murdered when she was younger and they were murdered because it was suspected that they were witches. So she does not practice at all. So the fact that this manuscript has shown up for her is just kind of, it's kind of suspect to Matthew. And he thinks that she's stolen the manuscript and he's basically stalking her to try to find the manuscript. So it's a little bit different from the whole Twilight thing because he's not stalking her because he's attracted to her or because he wants her at this point. He's stalking yeah. her because, you know, they may mention that the witches don't need to know about their origins because it can be used against them. Like, I don't know if, I don't know if the conflict between the witches and the vampires are such that the witches are trying to eliminate the vampires and vice versa, but apparently this is what he fears. And with Diana being a witch, if she has this manuscript, it could be um, basically life-threatening for the vampires so he is stalking her and it does get a little bit uncomfortable you know he's like looking at her while she's in the library he actually approaches her in the library and she immediately knows what he is and it's just kind of like there are several other instances in the show where he's stalking her and it got to a point where I was just like okay I don't know how comfortable I am with this because uh, of course you already know the setup is that these two are probably going to fall in love. And just for it to start out the way that it started out, it's just kind of creepy. Like, okay, so are people destined to fall in love with their stalkers? It's just, it was, it's really weird. <laughs> but I mean, and I, I will say it, he's stalking her because he thinks that she has something that could potentially be life-threatening to him. And he's not trying to, harm her he's he actually warns her he's like you know he said the fact that you were able to call up this manuscript there are going to be other creatures who are looking for you because they're going to think that you have this and they want to know what you know and she thinks he means it as a threat and he's like no I'm warning you and then the next day she goes to the library and he's in the library and she's like are you stalking me he was like no I just thought you might want some company and he says if you've noticed the library is a little more crowded today and it really is you know from where we've seen her in the library the first couple of scenes um and apparently there's a lot of witches there um you know because they they want to know what she knows and so yeah he's stalkerish but i don't think he means her any harm with it like he he really is trying to figure out one if she has something that could potentially destroy him and two, because of the fact that he thinks she might have it, he also knows that she might be in danger. So I think he, I think he is genuine and, you know, just kind of looking out for her. But of course, with it happening the way it did, it just, it, it does just seem a little, you know, creepy. Well, one thing is he, he does tell her he can sense how powerful she is. 
Mm-hmm. And she tried to tell him, well, I don't practice or whatever. But the one thing that I don't really care for about her character in the beginning, the way she's written, is that I understand why you don't want to practice and I understand why you turn your back to it. But it's like you you did it to the extent where you are basically unsafe. Like, you, can you defend yourself? Like, the, he, he becomes concerned with making sure she's protected. Well, if she's so powerful, she should be able to protect herself, but she turned her, her back on it. But this, this ignorance of her own um, ability and her own culture, you know, that she's from is sort of really to her detriment. And I know that's the way the writer wrote it, but it, it just seems like it's, it's, it's just, it just puts her in such a bad position, you know, as a character. Um, there was a lot of exposition in the story. It didn't seem that way, but, but I like the way they did it. They sort of dropped it on you, but they kept the story moving forward. Mm-hmm. Um, usually when I watch a fantasy show, one of the things that drew me to it is I'm always interested in things that deal with magic because I, I've done a lot of research on magic systems and how you're supposed to write them. And usually a writer is supposed to kind of give you the rules of a magic system. And it's, I don't mind they didn't really tell us anything like why the vampire is able to walk around during the day. Um, all, all that stuff, because I think part of, part of being a viewer of this show is going on this journey with her. Like she's ignorant to everything. Mm-hmm. So therefore she's the main character. So we should be ignorant too. And we're going to learn the rules as she learns the rules Mm -hmm. and I don't mind that as much but it would be nice to have you know this is me being me wanting to know you know how powerful she is what kind of power she has explain these vampires how these vampires different than the other vampires that we know so yeah I mean it it doesn't bother me as much since she doesn't know anything so therefore we don't know anything and we'll probably get that like within the next couple of episodes because the yeah. these episodes are actually very short. They're only about 40 minutes each. So we think about it, it's like, oh, that's just, you know, 10, 20 minutes less than a regular episode, but a lot can happen in a TV show within 10 or 20 minutes. Like we can get a lot of information. So I'm pretty sure maybe second, third episode, we'll get more background on, um, the conflict and on Diana's uh, lack of interest in her abilities and um, all of that other stuff. Yeah. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm with Anthony because it just seemed like to me that, especially, I was wondering if in Oxford, was everybody magical in Oxford or was this a spot where everybody's magical in London? Because they seem to, everybody seemed, the witches seem to be pretty comfortable being out and about with their powers and Matthew is walking around during the day got me too. I was kind of like, is he a daywalker or can all vampires do that? Cause I wouldn't have, I wouldn't have a problem with it if they were, because vampire lore switches by the show or movie. Like there's certain things that vampires can do in certain movies and they can't do in other movies or vice versa. It's like they switch up, they switch up their lore to suit their plot points. So if he, if he can walk, walk during the day and like the other vampires, like um, Marcus could walk, Marcus was out during the day 
then so I'm like, well, okay, well, maybe they just can walk in the daytime. And with everyone else that's in there, it seemed like everybody had some sort of power. So I, I was I was kind of wondering, it wasn't confusing. I just wanted to get a point of reference to see if everybody, if this was like a magical London or if Oxford just had a lot or if they were just, there were just a lot of them in Oxford just walking around like that, so. I think there probably just are a lot of witches in that general area. Um, Diana meets an old friend at the beginning of the episode, um, a redhead named Jillian, and she happens to mention that- Worst wig ever. Uh, you know what? We, <laughs> Absolute worst wig. <laughs> but we, um, she tells Diana, you know, when they're getting together, she says, oh, well, the coven is meeting tonight. Um, maybe, you know, because Diana had a, she had um, an incident of accidental mag magic at the beginning of the episode, and she mentions it to Jillian. And Jillian says something about their coven. So I'm assuming if they have a coven there, then there's probably a large witch um, population in that area. And maybe they were only in this episode uh, in numbers because of the fact that Diana triggered whatever it is that she triggered when she when she pulled uh, Ashmole 782. But the other thing is Matthew, when he first encounters Diana in the library, it's after she's done some accidental magic. She's trying to reach a book that's on a shelf that's a little bit taller than her and the, the book comes flying off the shelf and it goes over, she's on a second story um, landing and it goes over the landing and he happens to catch it. And he makes note of that. He says, you know, you're a witch, uh, you know, using your powers in, in public, you know, isn't that supposed to be forbidden? So I don't think that they've been using their powers. Um, it's just the fact that uh, as magical beings, just like Diana knew he was a vampire when she approached him, I think that they can kind of sense each other. So when Matthew was in, the um when he was in the library and he noticed there were more people maybe he sensed that they were witches and then of course you know all of them kind of looking back and looking forward at diana didn't help them be you know inconspicuous um as far as them being daywalkers um just one thing i've noticed watching different vampire um TV shows and movies over the years, I don't necessarily think that they're changing the lore as much as it is that they are evolving. You know, I, I understand that they are creatures and, and we know what the base rules are for vampires, for well, werewolves. But I think, you know, these creatures have been in existence for hundreds of years now. I think just like with humans and the way we evolve, I think that magical creatures probably evolve as well. And I just think maybe the day, the day walking thing is just another way that they've evolved. I was thinking, I was thinking maybe, you know, because there have been other shows where vampires do think like Twilight vampires are different but it's it's because of the rumors that people have about vampires mm -hmm. and i think maybe this show is going to do that like you know there are stories that are made up about them that aren't necessarily true right and it's to keep them from being vulnerable to people who you know like the right. whole thing about vampires being um allergic or you know being prone to 
uh, fatalities with garlic. You know, in some vampire uh, shows or movies, that's not true. It's just something that they tell people. Or, you know, the fact that vampires' blood have healing powers, like in um, in the Vampire Diaries, you know, and it's kind of like one of those, well, why, why don't we know? Or in True Blood, Tookie specifically asked Bill, if vampires' blood can, can heal, why don't the doctors know about this? They can heal a lot of people. And Bill tells her, we would be targeted if they knew that this was that this is what we were able to do. We would never have a moment's peace. Like they wouldn't leave us alone. Or they get captured and farmed and drained of their blood to right, heal people. Right. And, and it was probably a lot of witches in Oxford because they, there was going to be a coven meeting that night, or you know soon. So they were all congregating there anyway. Yeah. Well, I think one of the one of the things about the the episode that I found was interesting is that you get these little hints of what could be, you know, the the main points. But with Diana, uh, she comes across as, for lack of a better word, an adult version of Bella, and that bothered me. But as I was watching, I was like, okay, okay, they're doing the damsel in distress. You know, they're hinting at various things and with the way that the creatures are, I wasn't questioning that they could be out in the sunlight or anything like that. I was more questioning on sort of like what Anthony said and Michael said, how do they just sort of go about their everyday lives? Because either it's it's Hogwarts or it's not. I mean, you can't be running around a very public famous place and be a witch, warlock, you know, vampire, whatever, and, and not have people notice. I mean, let's face it, a library is a very public place. It, it just is. And even if you're in the, you know, in, in the, in the stacks where, you know, they have all the, you know, the good books, as they would say, people are going to notice, you know, I mean, you didn't see any problems with technology. Uh, you saw the vampires were um, around computers. You saw that the witches were, you, you saw that they were definitely participating they were interacting. But what I found was most interesting is that both species use very plainly the humans. So there's definitely a distinction between what they are as far as consider, I guess you call them creatures and the humans. So I thought that was interesting. Mm-hmm. I think we're just supposed to assume that humans are very ignorant in this, yeah. In yeah. this show and they don't, they don't know what is going on. Well, I mean, that's, um, that's the focus uh, deal with vampires and witches. Like, they're, they're yeah. In order for the story to, to be what it is, you, you can't have the humans always stumbling across the reality of the situation. So right. we just yeah. assume they're just really ignorant. I mean, like, I think I had looked it up before. Oxford has, like, 25,000 students or something at the school. And then the town is, like, maybe 200,000 people there. That's a lot of people, to, to be honest with you. And probably a good deal of them are witches and vampires. If they could just blend in with humans, they look human. So they're going to blend in with humans. Right. You know? And as long as they don't do their thing, no one's going to know who they are. The only thing that bothers me about this is the vampires and how they hunt. It's like, at some point, someone is going to not be able to control themselves around humans as we see in the end like i'm sure he had to you'll probably talk we'll we'll talk about it towards the end yeah but yeah i mean it's a it's a popular trope in 
most super anything having to do with super with people having living regular people and supernatural people that the the regular people are either willingly dumb or they play dumb as far as knowing that someone has powers. Is that because it it's just like knowledge is the knowledge of that is kind of like opening another world and it's something that a lot of people can't handle. Mm-hmm. It's like you can't you can't handle like if someone said, Well, I live forever and they're like, I wanna live forever too. It's like, no, you don't. And it's like because people are stupid and they're, they're, if they see someone that has some kind of advantage, they'll be like, Well, I want that too. Mm-hmm. So it's really dumb, especially you see any people you see how some people react to immigrants. Well, how would people react to, and we have history saying how people react when they think someone is a witch. So, I mean, you see how people react to things like this. So, it, I mean, it's, it's, kind of, it, it's still an interesting dynamic to see how that, that works in a, world, in a world-renowned college in London. So, it's, I mean, it's still an interesting dynamic to me. Yeah, I mean, I, I would, if I was a magical creature, or if I was a supernatural being, I probably would keep, you know, try to keep that existence or that knowledge away from humans too, because even with, you know, you used a perfect example, uh, my, you know, with, with immigration, with uh, witches, you know, we all know about the Salem witch trials and what happened there. And actually, um, they do make mention of that in this show when Matthew first realizes that Diana is the person that triggered whatever this reaction is that they had to uh, Ashmo 782, he goes and does some research on her. And because she is an academic, she has written several books. There is some information about her publicly known on the internet. And he makes note of the fact that she is a descendant of Bridget Bishop, which was one of the first women who was tried in Salem and killed uh, for being a witch. So they do throw a little bit of that history in there. And I don't know how much of that is going to make its way into the show, but we know that she's supposed to be very powerful. Um, at, at one point she contacts her aunt, who is Alex Kingston of Dr. Hussein. And, um, you know, when she tells her aunt that she had a magical reaction to this book or or rather she thinks the book was magical and she had a reaction to it and her aunt asked her well what do you do with this book and she was like i gave it back and she gets like lecture of hard you know the aunt apparently has been trying to get diana to embrace her magical side and to you know, do what she needs to do to learn how to control it. And Diana is like very, very stubbornly like, no, I told you I'm not practicing magic. I don't want anything to do with it. I gave it, you know, I, I just, I, I don't want anything to do with it. It's, it's not me. It's not who I am. And again, I think part of that is fear. And I, I think now she's probably not going to have any choice but to embrace that side of her, because if she doesn't, then this is going to be a boring show. <laughs> but, you know. <laughs> and and don't, in this episode, we learn that um, Professor Claremont is actually like a geneticist. That that wasn't this episode. Oh, sorry. <laughs> okay, I'll cut that out. But <laughs> Man, I can't believe you get it. So... <laughs> But I mean, but we, yeah, we. Oh, we, it gets it gets very technical very soon. Trust me. Yeah. <laughs> My bad. 
No, but no, Anthony, I, I agree with you because once we get past this first episode and when they really get cooking and they get into the technical stuff, you have to admit that is fun. It is. That's a lot of fun. Yeah, but nobody's going to know what Anthony said because I'm going to edit that out. <laughs> okay. <laughs> you don't want to move ahead. I thought it was this episode. I thought they started out. No, not no. They they did um they did look at the vampire blood um because when Marcus realizes that something is wrong when he tries to bring his friend back and it doesn't work, of course Matthew is pissed off at him because apparently there are rules about siring other vampires. One is that you have to get their consent. And of course, Marcus didn't do that because Joe pretty much died right he was dead. Yeah, he was dead. And he, his whole thing was he said that that was his friend. And also he was a brilliant doctor. Uh, also, Marcus is a doctor. But he said that that, was, that that would have been too much of a waste. Like Joe was a doctor who, who saves lives and does really good. And he really thought that he was doing something good by trying to bring him back. And of course it didn't work. So as he stated, Joe came back and he was confused and he was, the last few moments of his life were chaotic. And he's like, if I had known that this would not work, I would have never done that to him. Like I stole his death from him for nothing. And, you know, Matthew lets him know that they have, they have noticed that there have been issues with vampire sirens, but they can't figure out why. So I'm sure all of this, again, we'll, we'll find out about in the next few episodes because that's, that's like a huge thing to, to reveal to us in the very first episode and then not give us anything to fall back on, no background, no history. So I'm, I'm pretty sure in the next couple of episodes, we'll probably get a lot more um, exposition, a lot more reveal a lot more backstory but I think at this point um this first episode was really to kind of establish the dynamic between Diana and Matthew and again they're they're kind of suspicious of each other throughout the the whole episode and then there's an there's a scene at the end where Diana from the beginning of the episode we see she's very athletic you know she's she's a, a runner she's uh she's a rower she she you know she takes her boat and she goes rowing so i think i feel like they gave us that little bit of information about her to anyone else it might seem a little bit just kind of side story or just something interesting about her but i think that is supposed to kind of signal to us that she's not going to be a damsel in distress in this series. Like she has physical, she's a very physical person. So I would think that that means that whatever obstacle she's about to face, she'll be able to do it on her own and not necessarily need someone to come and rescue her. We already see that she's she's very quick on her feet when it comes to being confronted. I mean, she got confronted by a vampire and it didn't face her like, of course, with most vampires, he was being a little bit snarky. He was being a little bit arrogant. And she pretty much, you know, she she was able to go toe-to-toe with him verbally. And then in the scene at the end, she's coming back from rowing. And he, I guess because him trying to be nice to her earlier didn't seem to go anywhere. So he tries to come off a little more threatening with her. I know you have the book. I know you're powerful, blah, blah, blah. And she's like, look. I don't know what you're talking about. I don't have this book. I gave it back. I'm not powerful. 
I don't even practice magic. I don't care about any of this stuff. Why are you bothering me? And he leaves out and she, in the process of coming back, she's dropped her jacket. So he picks up her jacket off the ground and they're just kind of looking at each other, staring at each other off because I guess she's wondering what he's about to do. So he picks up the jacket and he sniffs it, which I'm I'm guessing is just a vampire thing. I don't know. But he <laughs> has, I think he has a more visceral reaction than he anticipated. Like he visibly starts shaking and I don't know if it's a... If it's a draw, like he's attracted to her blood, like he wants to kill her, or if it has to do with more of a physical reaction, but whatever the reaction is, he basically tells her, you need to walk away from me, get away, walk slowly though. I mean, he's telling her, look, I'm letting you leave. I'm not going to do anything to you, but I need you to follow my instructions exactly. Don't run. Don't make any sudden moves. And she does this and you can see he's like, he's trembling trying to control himself around her. And again, I was like, okay, so this is the point where either, and this is where I really started thinking Twilight because of the reaction that Edward had to Bella, but Matthew's reaction was way better than Edward's, you know? <laughs> but, you know, it, it was kind of one of those things where it's like he either really wants to kill her or he's really attracted to her or it's a combination of both. What was the term that they used? Imprinted in Twilight? Yes, but that yeah. was weird. Yeah, was that the term? Yeah, okay. That that's what that's what it looked like to me. All right, first things first. I think he has the weirdest vamp face ever. That is the creepiest, weirdest little like his eyes, his his eyes were bulged out and his mouth was all crunched up. I was like, vampires aren't supposed to look like all like I thought they're supposed to be romanticized as looking like, you know dashing and handsome but he looked like he was having a stroke and i was concerned that he was not going to make it to the next episode second i think it's probably i'm wondering if there's something to um which is having a certain pheromone that drives vampires crazy something like that where there's not it's something that you can't really smell it's like almost like a musk musky like 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 some like human males and females have different smells that you can't detect but they're there and it and it, it attracts one person to another person so i'm thinking there might be pheromones that that she doesn't know she has but they're like prevalent especially when she's exert when she exerts herself it comes out in her sweat and he smells it and it just overpowers him but i, I think that would be i think it would have been any any one because vampires are predators and <laughs> Her pheromones were all over that thing. I think it was, it, no matter who it had been, I think he would have had that same reaction. But I was more or less thinking of something Mike said when we were doing Cursed. Like, he's already whipped. He's whipped already. <laughs> he, he just started. He's whipped already. We don't already. know if that's what it is. Look, 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 technically speaking, we don't know if that's what that is. He could, like, really just want to kill her and it not be the other thing. Of course, we know that's not where this is going because... I mean, you know, but yeah, but, but it, it was it was obvious that he all of a sudden was like, "Oh my God, she needs to go. I'm gonna kill her." I really, and he just all of a sudden had this overwhelming attraction to her, and it could be in addition to sensing how powerful she was. Yeah, because that just I was could gonna be. say they were in a library full of witches earlier, and he wasn't having any any of that kind of reaction. Well, so I'm saying I was saying that's maybe because because she had just finished exercising. Okay. 
Plus, it seemed like, was she rowing, like, for most of the day? Like, was she rowing for, like, 10 hours or something? Because she was, <laughs> she started in the daytime, and then she came back at night. I'm like, did she go back home and try to look something up and come back on that well, rowboat? It could have been in the evening, like, it could have been late afternoon when she actually started. So she might have only been out for an hour or two. It was, you well, know. she was rowing a lot. It seemed like, it seemed like I, she did it that morning, and then she did it again in the evening. That's what it seemed like to me. Two, two a days. I mean, you know, she's an athlete. That's what she does. Mm-hmm. But also, I mean, I do, I do think, I, like I said, I think, I think maybe her, maybe her exerting herself makes makes her makes the pheromones come out stronger, or it saturates the jacket. I don't know, but yeah, he's he's giving like heavies. I mean, listening to like listening intently to her, smelling her jacket. I mean, sniffing her clothes. That's a that's stalker. That's stalker mentality right there. I don't think he, he was doing that it, like, stalker. I think he was trying to maybe do that to intimidate her. Because, like I said, at this point, I feel like throughout the episode, he was trying to get the information he needed from her. And he was being, he was actually being nice and he was being polite about it. And he wasn't getting anywhere because he really thought that she was holding back on him. So I think when he cornered her in the row house, he was trying to be intimidating to her and trying to maybe scare the information out of her. But again, she's not a person that seems to scare easily. Like she's, stands her ground with him and I really think that he picked that up and and did that to her you know as far as like smelling the jacket I think he was doing that to really intimidate her and to kind of make her feel scared and he wasn't expecting the reaction that he got and I don't I, I honestly too you know again I think it was probably a combination of her blood smells so good, I want to kill her. And oh my goodness, her blood smells so good, I'm attracted to her. I don't think he. I don't think he has determined which one it is yet. But yeah, I don't. So I don't he had a death slash, the death slash romantic face on. Is that <laughs> face got confused? It got stuck midway. Like half his face was attracted to her, and half his face wanted to kill her. So I mean, that, I, I that think that's kind of what it was. It was like a, you know, it was like oh, I don't know what to. But okay, so we got to talk about okay, so we got to talk about this this dude because anytime I see him in any show, I'm like, he's about to be the bad guy. He's gonna be a problem. So there's a guy named Knox, and most people will know him. He was uh, Sir Alistair in Game of Thrones. Absolutely hated that character. Hated him. Hated him. Hated him. He seems like he's gonna be a problem in this show. So we're introduced to him in the show. He's in Finland. He's got a hunter. And they're out in the woods and they're hunting and it turns out they are hunting for an actual person and not like animals or whatever. So they come across this, uh, I, I guess she's another witch. Her name is Satu. And this is someone that Knox has been looking for. And when he sees how powerful she is, he tells her that he's going to get her um, indoctrinated into the congregation, whatever that is. I'm sure we'll find that out next episode or two. But he has an interest as well in Ashmole 782. And so he comes to Oxford because he's been contacted by Sylvia, the coven leader there, who has been informed by Jillian, the bad wig redhead, that you know she may know something about what happened uh, with the reaction everyone had when Diana opened the book. So he comes and he, you know, he starts questioning Jillian. And he asked the name of the person who opened the book. And when she tells him, when she tells him Diana Bishop, his face changes. Like 
he's familiar with that name. So he has some kind of connection or familiarity with Diana that we don't know yet, but we know that he's looking for this book. The vampires are looking for this book. Diana is, you know, she's pretty much absorbed something from the book into her. We don't know what it was yet. Oh, and also there were pages also missing from the book uh, that we saw earlier. So there's a lot of, I think that particular book is going to tie the majority of these storylines together and we'll figure out what that is. Again, it probably has to do with however it is the creatures are made and what, I don't know if the book actually tells like how the creatures can be killed or whatever, but if, if those demons and vampires and, and witches and, you know, are, are not naturally allies, if they're natural enemies, then that book is probably going to be dangerous to, to whoever is not holding the information. So I guess we'll figure out what that yeah. is. But Knox is going to be, you know, just like we said with Sister Iris and Curse when we first met her in this one, Knox is going to be a problem. I just want to point out that Jillian is like going to be the most absolute terrible person ever. I mean, what kind of friend is she? That's not a friend. Uh-uh. She is not a friend. She uh-uh. is, she no. is, she is, she's terrible. I mean, bad wigs, bad person. You could just go that. I mean, she she's going to be Irish. Wait. She didn't even wait five minutes. I mean, she ran straight to the head of the coven. She didn't even like you know give her friend like a half a day head start. You right. know. Right. Mr. Knox is giving me heavy Philip Seymour Hoffman vibes for some reason. Like, I'm really, like, I don't know if this is his appearance or the way he's carrying himself, but he's giving me really heavy Philip Seymour Hoffman vibes. Mm. Also, the girl, the, the witch with him, Satu, is going to be a huge problem because yeah. she is incredibly powerful. And she has, she is. Who does she remind? She reminds. She reminds me of, of of like a few characters. She's almost like Maria, like Maria Hill to um, Nick Fury, kind of mm-hmm. like she she has like that that lieutenant who that right hand who is there. You know not to cross her because she'll probably incred- she'll fuck you up very much. So, and she and she's but she also has a kind of ease. Like when they went in and talked to Jillian, she just lounged on the back of the couch and and hovered over her and looked at her like, okay, you either tell the truth or I'm going to rip your head off and I'm not going to yeah. care either way. She has so. that very intimidating personality. Like, yes, I'm, I'm sitting here and I'm kind of unassuming, but I will kill you if you don't tell us what we want to know. And I think Jillian, once she was surrounded by Knox and Satu, it's kind of like she thought she was doing something maybe for the good of the coven by saying, oh, this is what happened. I don't know, you know, she she was able to get this book and this is what the book looked like and I don't know what it is about that book but we all had a reaction to it I think maybe she thought she was doing something to protect the coven but then when you get someone in front of you who was asking specifically about this book and you know what did it do what did it look like what happened who had it it's just kind of like one of those I think and and when she didn't answer immediately Satu looked at her and said answer his question like there was no doubt there that this was not anything negotiable for you. And I think at this point she kind of realized, oh, maybe I didn't do quite a good thing as I thought. 
So, you know, I just think, I don't know, Jillian, she seems like one of those people, like, I don't get the, I don't get the impression that she and Diana are like friends, friends, because when they see each other at the beginning of the episode, they, they both say that it's been about six years since they've seen each other. So I think it's more so um, a professional acquaintanceship or you know just somebody that they know in passing but I I don't think I would consider Jillian a friend um in that sense so I you know I don't have a lot of I don't have a lot of expectations for her character her character does seem to be maybe weak and the type that is always looking for someone for someone's acceptance that's kind of how her character comes off to me so far so I'm not I'm not looking for loyalty from her and I wouldn't be surprised by any betrayal from her. Let's just say not that. at all because she seems like she seems like the kind of person who 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 will sing like a canary if if her life's in danger and like she like you said she doesn't seem like she's the type that's gonna be be like a true diehard friend to the end at all. Right. Like she's and plus she almost she seems kind of upperly mo like she seems like she wants to tell things that would that would help her standing with the coven as opposed to something that would actually help the coven right so I definitely think that she that she's thinking about doing things like that and that that that's for personal gain instead of like coven covenical gain mm-hmm. I guess. and see and see with with on the opposite end of the spectrum I was looking at Satu. Like maybe she's going to be the weeping monk of this show, where yeah, where where she's going to be the bad guy, and eventually she turns out to be good. Um, I don't know if you're familiar with the Aragon, the Inheritance trilogy or series. No, no. Um, not really. Aragon is the main character, but he has a half brother, Murtog. Well, that's a spoiler, but it's been out long enough. But Murtag is a pretty bad guy in the beginning, but eventually you realize that he's actually, you know, under control of someone else. And he turns out to be a good person um, in the end. And that seems like maybe I'm hoping that Satu would be that way as well. Okay. You know, because there's always that one character in fantasy that is, if they seem to be bad, but either someone else is making them be that way or they have their other other ulterior motives but in the end they always find redemption somehow we saw that with the weeping monk in cursed so maybe we'll see it with her as well but right now she does she just looks like she's going to be his you know his assassin for hire or just his muscle that he right. that Knox needs yeah she's 100 the muscle yeah 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 so but I think we covered pretty much uh, most of what happened in this first episode. Like I said, these episodes are not very long. They're like between 40 and 45 minutes. And with this being the first episode, I think they were more so just kind of giving us some characters to start out with. I think probably second and third episode, we'll probably get a lot more backstory. Um, and then this is an eighth episode season. So they're going to have to give us a lot of story pretty quickly because they don't have enough time to draw things out. So I think that'll be that'll be an advantage to uh, this show with it being shorter episodes and less episodes. I think we're going to we're going to get more information 
But I, you know, like I said, the first time I watched this, I, I did, it did interest me enough to binge watch it. Like I watched all eight episodes in a day, but of course that was pre-quarantine. So I'm, I'm watching the show again and um, I'm going to take it episode by episode just so I can kind of see some things that I may have missed the first time and just kind of refresh my memory on some things that I've probably forgotten. And um you know, I, I think it'll be an interesting show to continue to discuss. And then I do know that it, it gets really good at the end. And uh, I have been like really anticipating when this next season is going to start. And so we've got less than two months now, I think, for a second season. So um, we'll be able to go through this first season. And I think maybe, you know, starting with the second season right on time and you know, maybe we have another new favorite show to get into, you know? Yeah, it seems pretty interesting. Um, I'll, let's see. So Sean, the librarian, even though he's not in it for the whole thing, he kind of, he was kind of giving me the vibes that he knows more than he's letting on, but he doesn't seem like he's, he has any powers or anything, but it's just, well, I think he's just human. Okay. Yeah, it just seemed like he he knew some things that he didn't know. But I looked at IMDb and I saw he was only in it for three three episodes. So I was like, okay, I'm just gonna scratch him off right now. <laughs> oh, um, I think also I'm I was wondering about um this about Sylvia. Like, is she so is so Knox is probably is the coven leader probably. He's the man that's really in charge of most of the things. Or is Sylvia? the one that because because Sylvia seems like she's or are they are they kind of co-leaders or I think it's, it feels like Knox is above her she's the coven leader but I think let's say he's like the regional representative yeah. like he yeah. might be above yeah. her yeah um because what, what was the thing the congregation is that what he called it yes he uh, I think being a member of that puts him above her yeah and there's a there's a lot of magical creature racism in here again, just like in in um in Curse, where the vampires are, have preconceived notions about the witches and vice versa. And I'm like, oh, here we go again. Like, yeah, like your witches always. Most, that's with most shows that deal with different species. I mean, there's always uh, some kind of conflict between them. I mean, you, we've mentioned Twilight, that that was the uh, situation with the vampires and the werewolves. We saw that in True Blood with the vampires and the werewolves and the humans, and I, I think they even had witches. And I mean, it was just, you know, you always get that no. with magical creatures. I mean, <laughs> even, I mean, think about it, even Harry Potter. You know, Professor Lupin was a werewolf and he was shunned because of the fact that he, he got right. turned into a werewolf. So it that kind of discrimination yeah. is kind of par for the course when it comes to magical creatures. But this one has a different twist because they throw in a creature category we don't normally see, which we'll get to in later episodes. Right. And because of how that creature species uh, problem is is very interesting because it affects all the other three. Right. In my opinion. It, it's actually one of the reasons why I was like, ooh, this is good because of what they threw that fourth uh, creature class in. Okay. Okay. Any final thoughts? This is what the Order and the Magicians should have been. 
it, it definitely was giving me ma the magician's vibe to it. Oh, like, this is way better, way better, way way better. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm real. I'm just really really excited because I know how good this is actually going to get. Yeah, yeah. I can see how good. I can see it's going to be really good, and I'm looking forward to seeing more of Alex Kingston and her fine self. Lord of mercy. Okay, I'm sorry. What was I saying? Um, yeah, it'll be interesting to see her. To see the dynamic with her because I, I literally love everything she is. She, she almost made me a Hoovian, but I still haven't gotten through a whole episode without falling asleep halfway through <laughs> it. But I just can't do it. I'm sorry. I've tried. I've tried so many times to be to like. I like. I can get into this. This is something I watched as a kid. I should totally be able to still get into it. So I'll start watching the episode. I'm like, okay, this is pretty, and I'm out like a light. I can't help it, and I'm and I'm hate myself for it because I'm like I could be cosplaying this every day. I'm mad as hell, and I can't take it anymore. And I'm. It, it's, I feel I too have not gotten very far with Doctor Who. I mean, I've watched a few episodes and the few episodes I've watched, I've loved, but I can't, it's not one of those shows that I can sit down and binge watch. It's just, it's See, just- I'm a Whovian. I can't talk to y'all anymore. Oh, I'm, I'm a Whovian too. I'm sitting up here going- I'm done with y'all. I watch, I I watch Doctor Who all the time. I promise you, I tried my hardest because I was trying, I started, started with the tenant one, like with, with tenant. No, you need to go back to Eccleston. You gotta go back to Eccleston. That's right. Yeah. You gotta go back to Eccleston. Yeah, I really should. I, I think I watched a couple. It's like, I just couldn't stay, I couldn't stay awake. I'm sorry. Uh, Tom Baker, Colin Baker. You gotta go back all the way yes. back. There. You gotta go back. I, I started, I started with Dr. Two, with, with Dr. Number Two. Like okay. I watched it on PBS. I watched Dr. Who on PBS. That's how far back I go. I actually watched those and I loved them. But it's like, now I... That. You gotta start with Eccleston. You gotta start with that. I'll, I'll get I'll get through it eventually. We've got look, we've got a two week Christmas break coming up, so I'll, 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 I'll well, there, there, there's only fifty seven years of Doctor Who. I mean, oh, I you know. know. <laughs> <laughs> and and I'm a huge Alex Kingston fan, so I'm I'm really looking forward to seeing her too. Like, you know, I fell in love with her back when she was on ER, and I thought she was great then. I love John Barrowman. I, I I have gone to a John Barrowman panel and it was the best thing ever. Yeah, Seriously. Amazing. So on that note, we are going to close out here and we will continue with our Discovery of Witches discussion. But for now, you can catch us on the internet at fandomhybrid.com. We are on social media, on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Fandom Hybrid. You can listen to us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, and other podcast streaming platforms. Thanks for joining in. We hope you join the conversation next time.